Romans 5, 1 through 8. Therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand through him and we boast in the hope of God's glory. But not only that, we even take pride in our problems because we know that trouble produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This hope doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. While we were still weak at the right moment, God, God died for ungodly people. It isn't often that someone will die for a righteous person, though maybe someone would dare to die for a good person. But God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Marjorie. Friends, will you please pray with me and for me? Holy Spirit, you are here today to meet us wandering wilderness people. Holy Spirit, may we open our minds, spirits to you amidst all our joys, amidst all the trials, so that we can receive everything you wish to give us today. And Holy Spirit, may whatever I say lead us toward your goodness, mercy, and outlandish love. Amen. Verse 5 from our passage today. We even take pride in our problems. The New Revised Standard Version says to boast in our sufferings. The New American Standard Bible says to celebrate our tribulations. Really? Is this how the faith that we call good news is supposed to work? Friends, this just leaves us with a very simple, but at the same time, really complex answer. How? How do we do that? None of us are immune from suffering and trials. Everybody Every human undergoes some type of loss in life. Grief is part of the human experience. So then how do these unavoidable realities lead us to hope? Well, in order to answer this how, I think it's first helpful to look at who, first? Who in our faith tradition has suffered? 
And how have they found hope through suffering? Well, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., guessing you've heard of him, once wrote this. My personal trials have also taught me the value of unmerited suffering. As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways that I could respond to my situation, either to react with bitterness or seek to, to transform the suffering into a creative force. I decided to follow the latter course. Recognizing the necessity for suffering, I tried to make of it a virtue. If only to save myself from bitterness, I have attempted to see my personal ordeals as an opportunity to transform myself and heal the people involved in the tragic situation which now obtains. I have lived these last few years with the conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive. Here's how I interpret Dr. King's words. A discipleship, a life that is following Jesus, a life that is following Jesus that does not include suffering is incomplete. Discipleship without grief is lacking. Discipleship without struggle is a mile wide, but an inch deep. Author Henry Nowen, which if you've never read anything from him, I would highly recommend it. He once wrote, we tend to stay away from mourning and dancing, too afraid to cry, too shy to dance. We become narrow-minded complainers, avoiding pain, and also true human joy. While we live in a world subject to the evil one, we belong to God. Let us mourn and let us dance. St. Paul, we need to learn how to mourn. And we need to know how to dance. We are, in some ways, in a time of mourning because of multiple reasons. And yet there are also opportunities to dance. Now we lean into one or more of those, one of those more at certain times than others. But we are called to both. And what Paul, the author of Romans, is saying is that that is where hope will be found. In the early church, they believed that you lived a victorious Christian faith because you experienced suffering. A consistent witness that no matter which way the wind of the world was turning, a consistent witness that stood in line with nonviolent Christian teaching, no matter what the Roman Empire or any empire would try to do standing in that witness of trust. You know, one of my friends who is now teaching Christian ethics had one student 
in an assignment in an essay recently share, an average Christian in America would be far more willing to kill for his nation than die for his religion. I'm not encouraging martyrdom for any of us. There's a fine line sometimes between legitimate suffering and legitimate persecution, which does go on, and just then claiming we are suffering or being persecuted because our faith is no longer mainstream. But what I am asking us to consider is whether we haven't included suffering as part of our discipleship because we have, we have reduced God down to a set of beliefs and not an enfleshed lived experience. I'm not anti-belief. I'm not saying we shouldn't have beliefs. Doctrine and Christian doctrine matters. And if you ever want to get nerdy and talk about some theology with me, I am totally here for that. But I think what my friend's student is saying is that we've made God too small. We haven't allowed the crucified Savior into the fullness of the human experience. We have kept Jesus on our little Sunday morning shelves for some occasional encouragement, and that's been enough. Now we read how Jesus promises us peace, and that's abundantly true. But I think we've also misunderstood what that may look like. Because we sometimes think of peace, and I don't really blame us because it's part of our human nature to want to avoid conflict, and we think of peace as not having conflict or struggles. But that's not the type of life that Jesus lived. He was continually in conflict. He had legitimate struggles. When you're the son of God, and you still have the nerve to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what struggle and pain looks like. So maybe, what Jesus invites us to is to let the peace and suffering coexist together. Where in that process, we start to become more whole. That our souls kind of enlarge around both of those lived experiences. So that Christ isn't only fitting in our lives when everything is good or when everything is not good but we have a savior present amidst all of it. So perhaps in the church we need to reconsider what revival might look like. Because perhaps revival is a willingness to experience trials and pain honestly and to recognize that hope, the hope of resurrection is still right there beside us. Perhaps what we need to learn is that hope is found through suffering, pain, and grief. That integrating our struggles into our spiritual life 
that will actually that will allow us to worship God with our full lives, with the lives we actually have, not just our Sunday morning lives. Perhaps that then builds a resilience, a witness in us that withstands anything that life throws up throws at us. And maybe that's what it looks like here for us to experience revival now. When Paul writes about the suffering that leads to patience, he isn't necessarily encouraging a willingness to just grit our teeth, try our hardest, um, live on our own strength, or to even stay in the suffering without admitting that it's hard. When Paul is encouraging and saying patience will come, what he means is to let God be present amidst us in the suffering so that our hearts and souls grow around it. What Paul is communicating is that if we let God into the wilderness of our suffering, the place we don't think God belongs, the place where we don't think God will show up, if we let God into that place, that leads to the promised land. That leads to resurrection. That's what ancient Israel had to learn the hard way, all the way back in the Old Testament. Staying in the wilderness, God still provides there. Jesus' suffering, his crucifixion, his death. It's about the best news ever, because that is what saves us, friends. Thanks be to God. But it doesn't excuse us from suffering. The purpose of Christ saving us isn't just to let us have an easy, struggle-free life. But Christ's suffering shows us that Christ suffers with us. Kate Baller and her team write that Jesus chose not to fight on his way to the cross or destroy his enemies, though he had the power to do so. Instead, he put down the sword. Jesus didn't run away and take the easy way up to heaven riding on a cloud. Jesus instead chose to stay present and to acknowledge the pain of being human and to have confidence that God loves him enough to not leave him alone in his suffering. It is in this love that we can suffer in hope. It's really just like I told our kids. When we suffer, when we're sad, grief, whatever, God is not mad at us. God's not even disappointed with us. God is beside us, crucified as a savior who still greets us with wounded hands. And when we allow our life experience, whatever is thrown at us, to also find hope through our wounds, our own grief, 
We become more whole and complete people, which is what God is all about. When we, that ancient word, shalom, it means wholeness. It means I'm giving you peace and completeness. That's how we find hope. Not by shoving grief under the bed, not by ignoring the reality of suffering, not by thinking we are excused from life's trials, but by letting them, giving space over time in our spirit to trust a crucified Messiah and that this God loves us amidst our sufferings more than any words can ever tell us. Let us close with a blessing from Kate. God, our bodies remember the sleepless nights and cold sweats and unrelenting stress. Show us how to proceed, show us how to process all that we suffer. Blessed are we when we decide to make room for all of it, the fear and the gratitude, the complexity and the suffering. Blessed are we who pour out to you the whole of it, unedited, all the terrible truths and fears and what ifs. The gratitude for those beautiful hearts in action who came willingly into the strange and awkward space that is my need. Blessed are we, learning as humans together that pain is inevitable, nurses are wonderful, hospitals are loud, people are brave, and we grow and we hurt and we heal. Then we'll do it all over again. Because this beautiful paradox is what it means to be human. Amen.